0: who you are you will know what to do when you don't know who you are you won't know what to do or you might you might have some vague or maybe even somewhat detailed recollection of what you should do but if you're not living in who you are and who you're meant to be you won't be inclined to do it why would you when you know who you are you will know what to do. And this is the series of messages we've been talking about for five weeks now. We're ending today. And in the first week, we talked about the fact that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, in verse 17, we're told that we are ambassadors of God, that we are chosen and appointed by him, and that we are his representatives because we are in Christ. The next week we looked in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, which says we are God's workmanship. We are God's uh, magnum opus, in a sense. We are God's masterpiece. And magnum opus means the artist um, just does their best work and creates this beautiful thing. And when we are in Christ... We are God's masterpiece. In week three, Pastor Aaron said, well, if we're an ambassador because we're in Christ and we are a masterpiece because we're in Christ, we're we're a growing disciple. And he looked at the um, last chapter in Matthew and said, the key idea there is that we're called to be disciples who are making disciples. Not just to pray a prayer. We're called to be disciples who are making disciples. Then last week, we looked in Matthew 5, Where it says, when we're in Christ, we are salt. We we draw people to Jesus because of what he's done in our life. We make them thirsty for him. And we are light that penetrates the darkness. We don't go into the darkness. We don't play in the darkness in that sense. We penetrate the darkness. And today, we're going to talk about being overcomers because we are in Christ. And as I was thinking about this, I thought, I wonder how many here um, are in a a place right now where you almost feel a little overcome, when there's just any number of things. And to be honest with you, in some senses, I kind of have that in my life just a bit right now. Just just too many obstacles, maybe it's too many things you have to do, too many opponents, too many... uh, persistent sin in our life or depression or whatever the case may be, and it just seems a bit overwhelming. And I'm going to suggest that when we know who we are, we will know what to do because in Christ, we're going to read from the scripture very clearly today, we are overcomers. Positionally, and this is a theological idea, but it's not just an idea that floats around in the clouds. It's an idea that has practical implications. Positionally, Scripture says, when we are in Christ, we are overcomers. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to Romans chapter 8. Or if you have your device, turn your Bible on to Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 31. Romans, the sixth book in the New Testament Romans written by by Paul to the church at Rome, beginning in verse 31 through the end of the chapter. And he says this, What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? So trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or the sword, as it is written, for your sake, We face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. And then this key verse here. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced, Paul says, that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither heights nor depths, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So one of the things we've been doing in this series is inviting you to go on the path of healthy spiritual disciplines. And one of those is is just the memorization of scripture. And so each week we've been handing out as we go a card with one or two verses on it. And that's gonna be the case again today. There'll be cards given to you as go. And we've been reading the verse off the screen, and so we're going to have that up on the screen there. It's verse 31 and 32 from the book of Romans, and so we're going to begin by reading uh, the text and the the reference, and then we'll read the words itself together, and I'm going to invite you to be memorizing, if you haven't already, these sets of verses, a bunch of great verses of scripture. So let's read together. Romans 8, 31 and 32. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? We are overcomers, this text says, in Christ. And we're going to get into the details of that in just a moment. But it begins by saying, Paul says, listen, if you're in Christ... There's going to be seven things just he gives as examples that you will or you shall or you might Encounter. And let me just give you any, and those are in those opening verses of the text we read. And he, let me just give you some um, ideas of what he's talking about. There's going to be uh, trouble or hardship, perhaps in your marriage, perhaps with that child that you're trying to raise in the things of God and they're pushing back against you or in your physical health. Or maybe there's going to be a type of persecution, not like they were experiencing uh, in that day, and that that we haven't yet, although other parts of the world certainly has, but not that we have experienced here. But maybe your persecution is your, maybe you're the in the third year at U of L, and your friends are mocking you because you're a virgin, and you're gonna maintain and you've committed under God to maintain your virginity, as scripture tells you to do until you're in marriage. Or maybe you're a business person here this morning and you've got this very lucrative, um, potentially lucrative opportunity, business opportunity in front of you, but you're going to decline it because you know it will necessitate compromising your integrity. As a follower of Christ, you're not going to do that. And your competitors or maybe people you work with Maybe they're going to think you're weak or you're too straight-laced or something, and you'll be mocked for that. He says there's sometimes famine or nakedness, and that's not often the case here, but maybe it's for you just that you're finding that there's just more month than money. And it's not because you've made poor financial choices or mismanaged your funds, but just quite literally, you uh, have more month than money. And then he says there's the danger or the sword. I was just communicating with one of the IWs that is associated with our church via email here within the last two to three weeks. And they were just talking about how, uh, where they serve. You can, because, simply because you're a follower of Jesus, not for any other inappropriate reason, but simply because you're a follower of Jesus, you can lose the opportunity to get the education that you would like, or or perhaps deserve. Uh, You can lose your job, you can lose the possibility of promotions, you can lose your home, lose your family, lose your freedom, and in some cases, lose your life. All because they're followers of Jesus. And of course, we're not experiencing that kind of persecution here, but we definitely see it growing all the time, as even Here in our own province, people are suggesting, if you try to put God first in the educational realm, we will persecute you financially. So some tough decisions will have to be made. And Paul says... You might or you will or you shall face these kinds of things as followers of Christ. And then he says in verse 35, but, but what shall separate you from your place of who you are in Christ? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And this is what he's talking about. When you know who you are, you will know what to do. And then in verse 37, he gives this very emphatic nothing. Nothing. Or no, he says, this is not going to happen. In all of these things, he says in 37, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. He's talking about our position in Christ. We are literally overcomers and more than conquerors through our position in Christ. The word that's, or the phrase that's translated more than conquerors in my NIV at least, is actually the Greek word nikeo, which means victorious. But it's not just nikeo in the text, it's actually the word hooper nikeo. Hooper nikeo means, uh, what does it mean again? It means uh, hyper winner, hyper winner. And so the translators didn't want to use the words hyper winner, so they say more than victorious. We are decisive victors with Christ. With Christ, we are hooper nicaea And one of the ways they knew this and celebrated this, and still do to this day, especially in the Middle East, is through the oral tradition. Before the scriptures were written down on the scrolls, they would tell the stories of God over and over and over again. And they still do in the Middle East, especially. We still do here, but not like they do. And so they would tell the stories. Listen, we are hooper-nakeo in Christ. And here's why. Remember the story of Moses and the children of Israel. The, the children of Israel have been enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. And the kids will be sitting forward listening to hear the story again at night. Because, of course, they didn't have the internet or television back then. So they're listening to the stories of God. And they would be told that God, God tapped Moses and said, you go and in fulfillment of prophecy, I'm going to release my people from this enslavement they've been in for 400 years. And they go, there's a series of 10 miracles where uh, Pharaoh and his leaders are eventually convinced to let the people of God go. And as they're leaving to go to the promised land, Pharaoh reneges on the deal, on his promise. He's not a person of integrity. He calls on his army. His army is chasing the people of Israel. They can see the cloud of dust of the chariots coming. They're facing the Red Sea. There's nowhere else they can go. Moses prays, and God parts the Red Sea so they can go through. And it's not just a little narrow gap. I remember when I was in my undergrad, one of my professors, and I don't know if this is accurate, but he did a study based on the average width of the Red Sea And the number of people and average foot speed and how slow you'd be going with all the animals. And if you've been in a big group, you know you walk really slow. The bigger the group, the slower they walk. And he estimated that God would have parted that water about one mile. Not just 10 or 20 feet, but like a mile to get that many people across. And the Egyptian army is coming to slaughter them and anybody that's left standing at the end of the slaughter is going to be going back into enslavement. They see what God has done. They don't care. Pharaoh orders them through the, on the dry ground and as they're going through, God says, that's it. You, this is your last chance. He lets the waters come back and they all drown. And they would tell these stories. We serve the God. Who does this kind of stuff? There's the story of Gideon in the book of Judges, and, and, and the Midianites have been controlling the people of Israel. And uh, God says, Gideon, I'm gonna use you to overcome the Midianite army. And, and Gideon says, But I'm afraid, God. And God says, Gideon, you are a mighty warrior. And even and, and God, and Gideon says, Well, but God, our army is just 32,000 people. It's just a small fraction of the Midianite army, and they're professional soldiers. They know what they're doing, and we're not. We haven't got a chance. And God says, you're exactly right. Actually, your army is way too big. And so he goes, takes them through a process where they end up with less than 1% of their army that they began with. Already they had a small by percentage compared to the Midianites. Now they are 1% or less than 1% of what they were. And God says, I just want to remove all doubt in everybody's mind of who won the victory so that the God of the Bible gets all of the glory for this. Because it's a completely impossible situation. And God arranges it that it's in the dark of the night, everybody's sound asleep except for a few guards, and there's confusion as there's noises and stuff in the camp, and the Midianites turn on each other, think they're being attacked by a large superior force, and they start killing each other, and the Israelites win the battle. Now you can tell by the text I read in Romans 8, and what you've heard me say many times, don't for a minute think I'm suggesting that when you're a follower of Jesus, you won't have hardship. In fact, I would argue that many times when you're a follower of Jesus, it's harder than if you just kind of muddle through life on your own terms. It says in John chapter 16, you will have trouble. And if you think about it logically, in order to become a hooper nicaeo, Hyper victorious. In order to become an overcomer, there has to be something to overcome. And so Jesus says in John 16, "You will have trouble, but take heart." In verse 33, it says, "I have overcome the world through Christ, through whom we are in Christ." Now, some of you are sitting there thinking, "Well, I'm just I'm just an average person, Scott." You know, so am I. <laughs> and uh, let me just let me just continue building the case of the promise giving, promise keeping God. So just walk with me here in Revelation chapter twelve. Uh, if you were to read in verse nine, it says that they will overcome the evil one. They'll overcome the devil. They'll overcome Satan. It says in verse 9, and then it goes down to verse 11, and they will. it says, even though some of them experienced martyrdom, they were actually overcomers by the blood of the Lamb and by their testimony. And this is one of the things that all of Scripture is hooked into, is that Jesus would come and shed his blood for us in a substitutionary fashion in your place, with your name in mind when he went to the cross. And he did this not only so that, so that the penalty for our sin could be paid for, but also so that he would secure complete and total domination and victory over the evil one and all his forces. And so our sins are forgiven, but also the enemy is defeated. And when the enemy attacks, and he will, because he's a bitter dude, he's a bitter loser... And he knows he's lost. He knows that the day is coming when he'll be bound. And he wants to take as many people down with him. He's the the definition of sore loser, the definition of sour grapes. And so he will attack. And we resist him by the power of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ shed for us. And by the words of our testimony, it says. And so we pray in Jesus' name, saying, yes, I understand who I am in Christ, therefore I know what to do. And so I will pray in Jesus' name, I will pray on the power of the blood of Christ and by his resurrection. And I understand very clearly, it's not by my own strength that I do these things. Yeah, we do our best and we do our part. Midian had to grab the trumpets and the lights and all that kind of stuff. Moses had to actually go and talk. To Pharaoh and perform the miracles that God did, and so we do our part, but we understand that we're that we're just very junior partners in the whole relationship, and God is the one empowering this, and it's not done through some self-help regime. You know, if I could, if I just work hard enough, if I just produce enough blood, sweat, and tears, somehow I'm going to process through this, and and it's good to give blood, sweat, and tears, but this is not the basis of our victory. There's nothing wrong with with improving oneself. This is a good thing to do. But this is not how the victory is won. The victory is won by the blood of the lamb shed in your place. And whatever the giant is in your life, that and that alone is the basis for our victory. Because when we know who we are, we will know what to do. And so we overcome by the blood of the lamb, we pray in Jesus' name, by the power of his blood, and we we declare it. We declare it with a conquering attitude. Often when we come up against these obstacles or the attacks of the evil one, we approach this stuff with a really uh, sort of faithless, wishy-washy, I'm-a-victim mentality approach. And instead, it's so clear when you read Romans chapter 8, when you read Revelation 12, and many other passages, some of which we're going to read here in a minute, we win. Jesus is the victor. And we don't need to be wishy-washy. We don't have to have the victim mentality. We head into the battle knowing that we are in Christ. And because we are in Christ, we have the victory. And we can stand strong positionally in this truth. Craig Rochelle would put it this way. Faith-filled attitudes lead to faith-filled actions. Faith-filled attitudes lead to faith-filled actions. And in a moment, I'm going to read from 2 Corinthians 10. And it says in that text, we demolish. We take captive. We don't just chip away at this stuff. It says we demolish. We take captive every thought, not in our strength. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Even though the lights are kind of bright, I can see some of your eyes. Some of you are thinking, well, uh, that's all good and fine for you, preacher boy. But uh, obviously, you don't have regular problems like I do. And, you know, you're absolutely right about that. I find that, like, when I get in my car and drive and there's a red light when I approach it, it just automatically turns green. I never have to wait. And, uh, you know, when we were raising our kids, Aaron and Sean, they just always automatically obeyed. There was never a problem. It was so simple. And, And quite honestly, you know, you're facing obstacles, so am I. And I don't know how it's all going to turn out exactly, but I'm kind of excited about it. Because the journey with Jesus is just a cool journey to be on. And we begin to see, as we're going through life, that we are not called on to be limited by the resources of this world, because that would be very depressing. So let me read to you from 2 Corinthians 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 to 5. Just listen to this promise from the promise-making, promise-keeping God. He says this: For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish. Strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We demolish demonic strongholds with God's divine power. The word, His dunamis power. Dunamis is from what we get our word dynamite. And, and we're told to put on the armor of God. I won't take the time to read that. But you could read in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 18, about the different elements of the armor of God. Because God, Paul understood, as he was going through life just like we are, that the evil one is going to come against us. And we need to take a stand against him. And you know, I know what some of us are thinking here, well, that demonic stuff, I don't think that stuff happens anymore. Let me just say to you very gently but bluntly, you've already lost the battle if you think he's not in existence at all. That's not in keeping with Bible. And then the other ditch that we sometimes go into is thinking everything that goes wrong in life, every little thing, every little issue, is there's a demon under that rock, and that's another that's another ditch we can go into. So we, we, we move to the center of the road and we understand the evil one is a bitter loser who wants to take us down and he's coming against us, but our God is greater. Our God is greater. And even though there can be many bumps in life, we are overcomers in Christ. Not long ago, um, Debbie and I were going away For a number of days with someone. And this person is demonized. No doubt about it. And the days together um, promised to be horrible. Based on past experiences. Two days before we were to go. We got a very threatening email from them. And so we were really looking forward to this time. But we covenanted together with one other person as well. That every day and in fact several times through the day, we would pray in Jesus' name. We would bind by the power of the blood of the resurrected Christ. The activity, the lies, the curses, the assignments of the evil one. Against this person and against us. And frankly, the extended experience with them was fundamentally different than it has been in more years than I can count. You see, we fight in Jesus' name, not against flesh and blood. We pray for the release of dunamis divine power that's totally sourced in Christ. Not sourced in me, not sourced in some fancy, you know, a philosophical argument I might be able to conjure up. It's totally sourced in the power of the resurrected Christ. Because when you know who you are, you will know what to do. It says this in 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. It says, you dear children are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. See, John who wrote those letters, those short epistles, he understood this too. Jesus understood this. Paul understood this. John understood this. Peter, who writes about Satan being a roaring lion, seeing who he can devour, he understood this. And then John writes in that verse, he says, just remember, the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Rob Reamer writes this, the number one question in the heart of people for God is, do you love me? And the number one question in the heart of God For people is, will you trust me? Our God is the promise-making, promise-keeping God. And he asks us, will you trust me? Will you trust me? We have the victory in Christ. Now, a very important attachment that we increasingly forget. And I see this in, in, uh, in our culture and in the church. Uh, we forget to be grateful. We forget to be grateful in all this stuff. And, and when better to be reminded of this than Thanksgiving weekend, but it's so empty to just make it on Thanksgiving weekend and not the rest of the time. We're called to be a grateful person, and it's a very important part of the process. I would suggest the process is fundamentally incomplete without a sense of gratefulness and praise to the God who gave us the victory in the first place. And so many places in scripture talks about this. It says in in Psalm 9, I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart. So let me just conclude by reading three quotes from three people whose names you'll recognize that remind us to make this part of the process. G.K. Chesterton writes, I would maintain that thanks are the highest form of thought and that gratitude is happiness doubled by wonder. C.S. Lewis, we ought to give thanks for all fortune. If it is good, because it is good. If bad, because it works in us, patience, humility, and the contempt of this world and the hope of our eternal country. The hope of our eternal country. And then A.W. Tozer, gratitude is an offering precious in the sight of God, and it is one of the, that the poorest of us can make, and be not poorer, but richer for having made it. Because when you know who you are, you'll know what to do.